in whatever way that you're viewing the world right now and history right now and even your place in history and maybe even just in your personal life, it may seem dark and hopeless, but God is still writing the story. Well, hello and welcome to Gospel Chapel Online, our podcast where weekly we are posting the audio of the sermons uh, from Gospel Chapel and we thank you for finding us. Hey, if you want to find out more about Gospel Chapel, head over to our website, www.gospelchapelgf.com, and you'll find out more about who we are and the ministries that are happening around Gospel Chapel and uh, ways you can connect with us. We would love to pray for you, and that's one of the key things. Uh, prayer moves the hand of God. And uh, so there is a link if you go to the right-hand side of our webpage uh, for prayer, and you can fill out a prayer form there, and that will come to our church staff team on Tuesdays uh, afternoon. It's when our staff meeting is, and we'll, uh, we'll get those prayer requests, and we will spend time in prayer for you. We'd love uh, to, for you to reach out and... Uh, and have this a two-way conversation. The thing with both YouTube and our podcast is that it's really a one-way thing, uh, but growing in Christ requires two-way communication. So if you could do that, that'd be great. Hey, today we are in the Gospel Project, and we are in Second Chronicles 36. It's really the kind of the end of the story, but an opening of a new hope. And so as we learn from God's Word today, May God richly bless you and encourage your hearts. Uh, so turn in your Bibles and let's get going. How many of you have ever had to write like a term paper? Gone to college, write a term paper. What's the hardest part of writing any term paper? Getting started? Getting started? Yep. What's the next hardest part? Finishing, Finishing it. Right. Conclusions. Conclusions can be difficult. You, you, you kind of get to a certain point and then you gotta, you gotta wrap it up. If you've ever written any story even, it, it would be that conclusion, it's that closing piece that's sometimes the hardest to come up with. Um, probably about eight years ago was when I finished my master's thesis and it took me about 13 years since I started my master's program to actually get the thesis done, I think it was probably about eight years. And uh, it was, I think it was about this time, about seven or eight years ago, uh, where we were running a, a little ministry called uh, Life Tree Cafe at my former church in Mission. And one of the guys there who was attending, we were talking about this, and I said, well, I've, I've pretty much got like all the main chapters together. I just, I'm really struggling with whether I'm done or not. And he's like, Write the conclusion. Just sit down and write the conclusion. And so that Sunday, I sat down, I wrote the conclusion, sent it to my professor, and he said, okay, a few tweaks here and there, but uh, now we'll schedule the oral defense and we'll, let's get this done. And it was like, oh, like this could be finished? Oh, wow. And it was really not the hardest thing to write, but it was the hardest thing to accept that I had to write it. Conclusions can be tricky. Wrapping up something and bringing closure to something. The, the chapter we're going to look at today, the tail end of Second Chronicles, 
If you were to read this in the Hebrew Bible, you would be over here at the very last page. And you're thinking, that's the first page. But Hebrews left to right, it's backwards. So the beginning of the Hebrew Bible, you open this way and you start in Genesis. And when you get to the end of it, you get to 2 Chronicles and it ends with 2 Chronicles. And when we look at it maybe in that light, we, we read this a little differently because what we're reading here is the, the end of the story of Israel as a nation and they're off in captivity and yet there's hope. And yet there's hope. So turn with me and we're going to start reading in verse 11. Imagine you had to write a history of a nation and you came down to this. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people Likewise, were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its places with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him, and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Wow. I don't know, I've never preached on this text before, actually never preached out of Chronicles before, how many of us have heard pre, you know, a whole sermon series through Chronicles? Not often. Well, if you go back to the beginning of Chronicles and view it as one book, First and Second Chronicles, it's just long, too long for one scroll, so it's kind of split up into two. You, you start with Adam, chapter one, first word in the book, Adam. And you just get genealogy after genealogy for nine chapters. In the very last chapter, in chapter nine, it's the genealogy of the exiles who have returned from Babylonian captivity. And so the context in which Chronicles is addressed and was written was after the exile. So it's people that have returned. 
It's, it's written in that time, whether it's Ezra and Nehemiah, maybe after that even, quite likely after that. We hit this last verse, verse 21, and, and, and you kind of have to fill in the gaps between verse 21 and 22, lamentations and Daniel and uh, the centrality of Torah and synagogue begin, and, and all of this, maybe Esther is in here too, and Ezra and Nehemiah are coming into play here. And again, this is for, for the, the Hebrew readers, this is the end of the story for them. This is one of the last books probably accepted into their canon. And so it was probably written quite late. And it's looking back. It's looking back on all of their history and, and specifically through the lens of the temple and the presence of God. And here it is, it's, it's coming to the end here where the temple is no more. There is no more temple. And they're not in the land. And they are now servants of a foreign king. It's like we're back to Exodus chapter 2 all over again. And so for the people of Israel reading this text, I wonder what they were supposed to hear. Think of the broader context between Saul and Zedekiah, the first king of Israel and this last king of Israel. Uh, Saul's reigning about 1050 BC, and this is 587 BC, about 463 years. Here is the patience and the persistence of God. God said, I don't want a king. This kind of bit of a review of where we've been the last number of months in the gospel project. I don't want a king. I am your king. But since you are wanting a king like the nations, select someone, and there's Saul, and there's David, and there's Solomon, and there's the building of the temple. Chronicles is really taken up with the building of the temple. Very temple-focused. But 463 years, and we see the patience and the persistence of God because he keeps sending them messengers. Go back to verse 12. Because really what the history of Israel is trying to teach the new people of Israel returned from exile is, here's what got us into this mess. Let's try to avoid that in the future. Now Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And so even today, as, as we, we read the end of Romans, Paul's saying, read the past histories and, and get an idea of where our hope needs to lie. Back to verse 12, what went wrong? And, and, and in a lot of ways, there is a summary statement here for all of Israel's history. First, for King Zedekiah, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not humble himself. In this passage, there are four really key things that define what sin is, what falling short of God's glory is, and the first of them is pride. Pride. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And now notice that comes back in verse 21. This kind of wraps this whole discussion up under one heading rejecting the word of the Lord because of pride. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. Pride 
got in the way of hearing from God. Second, he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who made him swear by God. And so there was some deal struck between Zedekiah and the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, but, but he chose to rebel against that. He actually was turning to Egypt for help instead. He was trying to kind of work the, work the governmental powers of the time for, for Israel's good. And he rebelled. And so rebellion is the second thing that is, if there is a heart of rebellion, then there is, that is a sinful heart, pride, rebellion, stubbornness. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart. And for, for a good Jewish Bible reader, this is everywhere throughout Deuteronomy. You are a stiff-necked and hard-hearted people. And it comes down to this. Sin is pride, it's rebellion, it is stubbornness, and then it is unrepentance. He hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. But it's not just the king's fault. Chronicler wants us to know that, verse 14, all the officers, the priests of the people, likewise were exceedingly unfaithful. Following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. And eventually, God has to step in. And he has been through the whole time. First of all, we see in verse 15 that God has been exceedingly patient with his people. And he has called to them over and over and over. He has sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And we think that even just in the last few weeks, we've looked at two of the prophets. We've looked at Jonah and we've looked at Nahum. And Jonah, in his message to Israel, because remember, it's not just telling a neat story about Jonah and whale and, and Nineveh repenting. It's, it's actually calling out to Israel, the people that would be reading that book, and it would be encouraging them to say, God is so faithful, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. Uh, Nineveh's the worst that you can imagine, right? Well, even God will be faithful to the worst that you can imagine. So will you just come back to him? And then on the other hand, there's Nahum. Nahum that writes again to Nineveh, but says, God will not tolerate sin forever. It will be punished. Wrath will fall. See, there comes a time when time's up. And God just hands us over to our own desires if we're just full of pride and rebellion and stubbornness and unrepentance. God just says, I've done all I can. You can reap the, the rewards of that kind of life. See, he sent over and over persistently by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of God rose against his people until there was no remedy. Now that's a tough one to swallow, isn't it? Until there was no remedy, until they just 
would not listen anymore. The prophetic mission had been a call to repentance over and over and over. But people wouldn't listen. And people today still don't listen, do they? Sometimes we don't listen. Remember, this is not speaking to all the nations out there. This is speaking to God's people who have the book, who have the temple, who have the sacrifices, who have the priesthood. They have all the tools. They have all the knowledge. And it's they who are not listening to God. Because they're prideful, they're rebellious, they're stubborn, they want their own way. And when we look at this passage and we see this, and we, we remember that back in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, at the dedication of the temple, God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will restore their land. There is a way back. We don't like reading the rest of that chapter because God knows that people are going to be stubborn. We, don't, we love that verse. We love that one verse. But then listen to this, starting in verse 19. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast you out of my sight. I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to his land and his house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them from the land of Egypt, and laid hold of their gods and worshiped and served them. Therefore, he has brought this disaster upon them. And over and over through Chronicles, it's this focus, is that the temple is destroyed because of the faithlessness of the people. And imagine now the chronicler and maybe Ezra and Nehemiah in Jerusalem and Back a few years ago, we, we looked at Nehemiah because the walls are broken down, the gates are burned with fire, Jerusalem is in ruins, and, and they're sitting here and they're hearing their history amidst the ruins with a temple that doesn't look anything like Solomon's. It's just a pale shadow of the past. And what hope is there for them? The chronicler then continues and he gives us a summary statement of everything that he's actually talked about in Judah's decline. The king of the Chaldeans comes and lays siege to the cities, levels the place, burns everything, destroys the temple, takes everything out. And he took into exile to Babylon those who escaped from the sword. And we're going to be looking at some scenes out of Daniel's life in the next couple of weeks that fit into this. And they became servants to him. We're back to Exodus 2 all over again. To fulfill the word of the Lord. 
God keeps his covenant promises. But sometimes that means that his covenant promises result in judgment against his people. And this is what happens to Israel. Because when they walk away from God, when they ignore his word, when they think they know how to live better than what God has instructed, then they will reap the rewards of that life. And God will correct them. Because the opposite of a sinful life that is full of pride and rebellion and stubbornness and unrepentance is a life that is humble before God, obedient to his word, open to his correction, and completely oriented towards his righteousness. But that's not what humanity is capable of living. The book of Kings ends with the hope of the restored Davidic king. If you go to the end of the book of Kings, the people are in exile, and yet there is a king who is Jehoiachin, Verse 9 of this passage, we don't really get much about him here. But the book of Kings ends with him at the table of the king of Babylon, eating and living and surviving. And a Davidic king is still alive, even in exile. Chronicles, more concerned with the temple, ends this way. After this report of what has happened and the desolation and the desecration of the temple, it ends this way. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Third time we've heard from the mouth of Jeremiah. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a pronouncement through all his kingdoms And also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And the Hebrew Bible ends there. It ends with the hope that the The temple is going to be restored. And the temple, in their thinking, is the pinnacle. It is the center of worship. It is the manifest, is the place where God's manifest presence will be with his people. And so they go and they start to rebuild. And Herod the Great will build an even greater, more marvelous temple. And Jesus will walk in that temple and he will say, this place is going to be destroyed again. And in 70 AD, it happened again. And all throughout Israel's history, from the time of the exile, even until today, the people of Israel still feel they are in exile because after Babylon And after Persia came the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire 
totally destroyed the temple and it has never been rebuilt to this day. And so there is this ongoing hope of a reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And yet, even if that were to happen, it too will be destroyed again. A lot of people think, okay, Book of Revelation temple has to be rebuilt, but that temple will not stand. Because at the very end of the book, the very end of our book, there is a different temple that is promised. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need for sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Ultimately, there will be no temple. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Hebrews 1.4. The ultimate revelation, the one who will write the end of the story is Jesus Christ. He will bring it to a conclusion. He is the ultimate word, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, verse 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Even though people rejected the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, so too do people today reject the word of the Lord who is Jesus the Christ. And so we need to come to Christ and believe him and know him who is the ultimate word, the word enfleshed, the final word of God. He is both the word and he is the priest and he is the sacrifice and he is the temple. If you read Hebrews chapter 4:19 to 10:25, this is the whole argument, the heart of the book of Hebrews is this that Jesus is the ultimate priest, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate temple, and the ultimate word of God all wrapped up in one. So don't go back to old ways of doing religion because it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Hebrews says over and over too, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. What's your story like today? If you were to sit down and write a history of your walk with God, where does it end today? What's the conclusion going to look like for you? What story have you been drawn into the end of um, 
the two towers, the chapter, the stair of she, the, the stair of Kirithungal. There, there's this conversation between Sam and Frodo as they're heading up this mountain. And Sam asks the questions, do the stories never end? What story have we gotten ourselves caught up into? And sometimes we get caught up in a story and we don't know the ending, but we're part of something much bigger and much longer. And it's not just our story, it's the story of our children and our church, beyond our church, around the world. And some of the parts of our story are dark and they're hard. And they're painful. For 70 years, the people of Israel would be in bondage and slavery before King Cyrus comes onto the scene. And then the story starts to change just a little bit. And it would be 400 years before Christ came and the story would be radically transformed. Daniel and his friends are not part of the genealogy and the report of those who returned from exile in 2 Chronicles chapter 9 or 1 Chronicles chapter 9. They lived, they served, they likely died in exile. Sometimes we don't see the rest of the story that we're a part of. And this morning, all of us are part of the story of God. God has done things in our lives and he has drawn us into this time and place for his glory and his purposes. And our part in that story will one day come to a close. And we won't know the long-term impacts of that. There will be a time when we either move on from here or we move on from this life into the next. And what is the hope that we're to have? Back to Romans 15.4, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God's still writing the story. We, we know there's a conclusion. We know there's a final chapter. But somewhere between the end of Acts and the end of Revelation is your story and mine. And what part are we playing in this story? You may feel like you are in a time of exile you may feel that you are in a time of 
discomfort. Peter says, we live here as exiles, strangers in this world. That's part of our story. Yearning for the day when God will make everything new. I find this interesting, though, that at the end of Kings, it is the decision of a pagan king to, res- to keep alive and to provide for the Davidic king. And it is also a pagan king who makes the move to restore the temple of God. See, God works and he is Lord over all of history. And so right now in history right now and even your place in history and maybe even just in your personal life, it may seem dark and hopeless, but God is still writing the story. And so there's really two different ways to respond to that. There is the response of Zedekiah. To live with a heart full of pride and rebellion and stubbornness and unrepentance and to continue to walk in judgment. Or to start to see your life as part of a much bigger story that God is writing and be humbled by that. To listen to the word of God and become obedient to it. Open to his correction and then orienting your life towards God and restoration. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Open your heart to God. Let's pray. Lord, this passage is sobering because you only let us get away with sin so far. And Lord, sometimes we live in this broken world and, and we're trying our best to follow you, but we're also living with the pain of sinful choices of those around us. I think of even Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were deeply devoted to you and yet who were taken away into captivity. I imagine there were others who were devoted to you, but who died when the siege came and when Babylon took Jerusalem and destroyed everything. But sometimes we bear the consequences, not only for our own sin, but for the sin of those around us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to put an end to sin, an end to suffering, an end to sickness, and ultimately the end of exile away from your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two and access to the Holy of Holies was made available because of your work for us. Thank you that we no longer have to come with trepidation and fear into your presence, but we can come boldly into your presence because of Jesus Christ and find help for our time in need.
Lord, thank you that you are the God who sees us. First person who gives God a name in Scripture is an Egyptian slave who Abraham sends away, but who you reach out to. God, you see me. God, you see all of us. You see the hard parts of our lives right now. And it pains you. Lord, we may not see the healing, the restoration, this side of your coming again. And so, Lord, help us to live well. And to somehow, as many of the apostles encourage us to, to suffer with joy in this present age that is so marked by sin and an abandonment of your word. Lord, may we not look just to the problems of the present, but may we look to the hope of your future. Lord, we're so time-bound, we think only of the present moment. We think only of the present life and the present trials. Help us to look up. Help us to read the end of the story so that we can understand the rest of it. Put it in the context of the conclusion. That when you come, you will make all things new. And there will be no more suffering and there will be no more sin and there will be no more war. There will be no more discord and strife. For we will be with you forever. And all those old things that caused us so much pain in this life will be gone. And so, Lord, even as we watch the news, even as we go through the challenges that we face day to day in our own relationships, may we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, and allow you to write the conclusion of our story with your hope, with your grace, with your loving kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. I stand for the benediction. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. And for those of you who are new here, see you in the gym for lunch in a few minutes.